0: Friendships and relationships are so important, we all have them in some way or another. And it's kind of funny how we have friends that our family will know really well, but then we have friends that our family doesn't know. But the thing about it is, God has created all of them, and He knows all of them, and He knows us, and He knows all of them. And so we have the opportunity to interface with our culture in ways that can be quite meaningful and influential. When you look into the book of Romans, and you're in chapter 12, and you look at the passage Pastor Josh led us to read just a little bit ago, you come along there and you're reading about, starting at verse 9 and following, the idea of having healthy relationships, really. It's talking about getting along with other people. It can be getting along with your family at home. It can be getting along with people in your neighborhood, extended family, friends, and those acquaintances you may have at the cafe you like to go to or wherever it is you like to spend some of your time in the clubs you're part of, whatever. And so as you go into those various circles, and as you interact with the people, there's something that the Apostle Paul says here, that though I have looked at these verses from 9 to 21 in overview, I have never paused at verse 12 to really focus on it as a passage for a message. So today and this weekend, I'm privileged to be able to do that, as I felt for some time we needed to look at this one. So I want to look at Romans 12, 12, as it gives us three instructions to show us how to live a life for a believable impact for Jesus Christ as we interact with our friends. I believe he's going to be able to help us in doing that. The first thing is, I want to encourage you to consider what he is saying, that we need to be hopeful people. We need to be hopeful people. You know, in the day in which we live, it is easy to be negative, dark, and and doubt, and discouraged. It is very easy to be able to see the worst in everything and everybody, all that is going on in our culture and all that's going on in your world. It's easy to see the glass as half full and always see things as not really what they ought to be. But you know, we sang a song just a little bit ago that describes really and depicts part of a passage of Scripture that says to us what the definition of hope is. Hope is trusting in things you cannot see. It is hoping in things that are not yet. Some of you are praying prayers of hope and faith that your children will make a U-turn and come back, even as a prodigal son or daughter did in the scripture, so to speak. And there are some that are praying for a spouse. There are some of you that are praying for health and wellness. Some of you praying about a job or maybe a house sale or maybe you're going to buy a car this week. You're looking for something. You have to get it. And it's in an unusual time and you don't know exactly what to do. You're praying. You're filled with hope. We will say things like this. I hope my health lasts. I hope my kids will grow up to be productive citizens and most importantly, Christians. We hope that our relationships will last. We hope our country and freedom last. We hope that our friends will come to faith ultimately in Jesus Christ. Rick Warren said it and I echo it and I've said it before but I say it again. A lot of us have friendships and we have never taken the time to ever express the values that drive our lives. We have never taken the time to talk about our Jesus. We talk about the weather, we talk about sports, we talk about all of our kids, we talk about all of the things of our life, our favorite foods, and the places we like to go, the latest movie, the latest this and that and the other. But if you have a friend you've never, never witnessed to about Jesus, his recommendation is to first say, I am sorry, I have never told you about the most important thing that makes my life worth living. You might consider that as a witnessing tool. It's not real comfortable, is it? But to say to somebody, I really need to talk to you about something. I haven't been very good in this, in our friendship, and I just want to be better in my friendship. And I just want to talk to you about this. You know what? The most important thing that drives me, the thing that gives me value, the thing that centers me the most. And talk about your hope. Alexander the Great, he was giving away a lot of his goods before one of his conquests and his campaigns. And as he was giving them away, he had given away so much and so many things that his friends came to him and said... You'll have nothing left for yourself. And he said, oh, yes, I will. I still have my hopes. I still have my hopes. And you know what? We may have given away a lot of things, but we still have our hope. And the thing that is absolutely amazing is we have our hope and we can rejoice. We have a hope that takes us beyond this life. We have a hope that is absolutely steadfast and sure. And we're not crazy thinking about heaven and talking about heaven and our future being in heaven. I want to remind you today there is still a heaven to gain. Every one of us have the privilege and opportunity of going there. And there is still a hell to shun. We want to resist that. We do not want to pursue that. We want to be able to pursue Christ and his righteousness. He has provided everything necessary for us to be able to do that. He has come to this earth. He has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead. And he is seated at the right hand of God to make intercession for everyone. So no one is without hope. No one is without opportunity. Every one of us have the privilege of calling on him and finding the forgiveness of sin. I need a savior, you need a savior. You watching, we all need a savior. All God's creation, we need a savior and we have one. He is the only one who has died and risen from the dead. No one else in history has ever done that. He's the only one that was prophesied and down to a T, he would fulfill those prophecies, and he is still to fulfill more that are coming in the future. I recommend this Jesus Christ. He will give you the ultimate hope that all of us need. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. It almost sounds like he's taking the wind out of the room. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, We are of all people most to be pitied. We don't have a hope in Jesus just in this life to get us through this life. He said, no, we have a hope that is sure, and it's going to take us right on into the next life in our eternity. And I want to ask you, do you believe that? I believe that with my whole heart. I'm betting my entire life on that. I wouldn't be standing in front of you week after week proclaiming the truth of Christ if I did not believe that. I tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is the Son of God. And he is providing a place. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He said, if you'll confess your sin, I will be faithful, just forgive your sin, and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And one of these days, as it says over in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21, we have the privilege of leaving this life. I said it. We have the privilege of leaving this life. I don't know what taxi cab you'll ride. Some of you will ride COVID out of here. Some of you will ride the heart attack cab. Some of you will die on a cancer cab. I don't know which one's going to come by for me, but I'm not yelling for one. No, I'm not yelling for one of those cabs that's going to transport me, but one of them's going to do it, and it's going to take every one of us. But when we get into the presence of Christ, Matthew writes it this way, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joys. Everybody that passes out doesn't have an out-of-body experience. Some people who do pass out do have an out-of-body experience. Jim Woodford is one such person. He had one. Jim had collected all kinds of things in life. Matter of fact, he was a wealthy man. He bought businesses, and he was a wealthy man. He bought all kinds of things. Nothing wrong with having money. But he had all of this stuff, and it pretty much had him, I guess. He said he, he would go to bed and feel pretty good about his life. He'd buy another company. He'd, he'd buy companies around the world. He'd buy this, that, and the other. But he said... He said, one day I went out to look at some property and I was going to walk it off. And he said, I just didn't feel I could do it. And he said, something happened. He said, there I was in my pickup and I just slumped over. And all of a sudden I'm outside of my pickup walking and I look back and I see someone slumping in my truck and I'm thinking, who is that? And he said, I walked back over and I realized, that's me. And then he said, I was taken into heaven for a bit. Now whether you believe his story or not is up to you, but I think this part quite interesting. He said, when he got into heaven... He said he was there, and he said, the Lord, in those moments, was over here. And he said an angel was over here, his guardian angel was over here in the back. And he said the guardian angel pulled a little book, just a little book, out of his sleeve. And it was light reading, easy reading, and it was very, just a very normal-sized, small book. And Jim said, I knew they were looking at all of the things I had done to help anyone other than myself. And he said, I realized I had not lived my life the way God wanted me to. I had lived so much for me and not for anyone else. He said, when he came back, he said, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the way I'm living. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do so many things for other people. It's going to take three angels to carry that book and a forklift. That's an interesting perspective. Another fellow, Dean Braxton, who had a vision out of body, he put it this way in his vision of heaven. He said, I was going to go to the West Coast after he had come back from his vision. He said, I was going to go to the West Coast, and I was going to speak at about six, maybe eight places. And he said, when I went out there, they ended up booking me for like 26 places. He said, people want to know about heaven. And you know what I know? Your friends want to know about heaven. And I want to tell you today, you can go to heaven. And if I don't see you again next week, I want you to know you can still go to heaven. God loves you, died for you, rose from the dead for you, and is making intercession for you. And he wants every one of you, all of you, front to back, out in the lobby, all of you, along the edges, everywhere, to confess your sin and trust in him as your Savior. And he wants you to be able to be his forever. I want to tell you what, if we have hope, if we have hope, we have everything. Because the hope is in Jesus Christ. And then there's a second thing he says to us here. Look what he says in verse 12. If you have your Bible, you can see it. Be patient in affliction. We can be patient in affliction because, listen to this, we know the ultimate outcome of our our lives. I had a friend, Jim Riley was his name, and when polio was rampant and going around, one of the things they were having people do was put these wet towels over their body And he was a farmer, a handsome dude, married a lovely lady. And they put towels over the top of his body, but they didn't think to put them over the bottom of his body. And ended up the polio settled in his legs. When he came out, he had really spindly legs. He could hardly walk, and he couldn't walk without these crutches. But man, he was one of the most positive men I ever met. Smile, kind, gentle. I don't think I ever heard him complain about anything, and I was around him a lot. He was an incredible man, a great inspiration to, to Pam and to me. The little church that I went to, it only had, you know, on, 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 I think we had a high day of 140 people one time. I think it was a high number. They used to talk about something like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, we would go Sunday morning, Sunday night. Wednesday night, we had a prayer meeting. And prayer meeting was where we'd come to church, we'd sing, uh, we would pray. They called a prayer meeting. We didn't do so much sometime, but sometime we prayed a long time. And then we would sing, pray, preach, we give a devotional, that's 30 minutes, and then they had 30 minutes of testimony time. Now, that can be a bizarre time. <laughs> I don't miss that really at all. Um, but I would just say this. There was a dear lady at the church who used to stand to testify, because all of us would testify. I'm talking about Basically, everybody in the church would testify, and if you didn't, they wondered if you were spiritually in trouble. I'm not joking. That's, that's how I grew up. So it was pretty, accountom- pretty much accountability night. Hey, you doing all right? You doing all right? I mean, it was, it was been... seriously. But this one lady, her name was Rosanna Benton. She would stand, and I bet you if I heard this 300 times, I heard this 500 times from her. She would stand up, and I knew her story. She had a son that ended up going to jail. She had a brother that she cared for who was bedridden, never able to really get out of bed. Her husband hardly ever went to church with her. And there were other challenges she had that I won't even talk about. Many, and they were not little. She would stand up and she would say this, I have no sad stories to tell. And then she'd brag on Jesus for a little bit. I thought, man, if somebody's got a sad story to tell, that woman has a sad story to tell, but she didn't. She refused to do it. She'd stand up and she'd just brag on Jesus. I knew that woman had been with Jesus before she ever got there. It came through her countenance. It came through her testimony. It came through her life. And she brought other people to Jesus. It was beautiful. I will say this. Your pain creates your testimony. Your pain creates your testimony. Very often, it is is the pain that is something that we resist and resent. You take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're taken into the fiery furnace because they were Christians, because they trusted in God. They would not bow to the foreign, foreign gods and to the gods that popular culture said you're supposed to bow to. And, and they're young men, they're like these wonderful young folks right over here. And, and they, they said, We're not gonna do it. They're probably teenagers. And they said, We're not gonna bow. We're not giving in. You can laugh. We can stand out and look weird because we know the end is better than the present. We're not going to give in to the present because if we know the end. We want to stay true to Christ, to God. And they, did. And they threw him in a furnace and it was heated seven times more and ended up being four people in there. If you don't know the story, there was a fourth person in there and they looked in and they said, wow, didn't we throw three in? There's four. And look at the fourth one looks like God. Jesus himself, many would assert, came and stood beside them. It's in your Bible. And there, they're standing beside. And this is absolutely powerful what is going on in this moment here. As God ministers to them. And they came out without even a smell of smoke. It burned off the bindings that the people had put on them, but not the pure heart that God had given them. And the people were amazed. Wow. Isn't that powerful? He says, be patient in affliction. I just believe that sometimes the very thing that causes us our pain is the very thing that's going to be our testimony. It's going to be the very thing that's going to be used by God as our strength. Steve Stetler grew up in a family of high achievers. Steve had a brother who was an incredible speaker, had another brother who was great in music, had a sister who was way up in the IRS, great in mathematics, and the list goes. Steve always wanted to be like his siblings, and he never was fully able to be there. You see, when Steve was a little boy, he would go... From home where he was safe and comfortable and everybody loved him, into the school setting where people can sometimes be a little bit less kind and even cruel and bully. He had a bit of a speech problem. He stuttered, and to top that off, his tongue would come out a little too far and he would slur his words, so having a name like Steve Thetler was a real problem for him. A school teacher had had most of his siblings. She was a second grade teacher. She did not like his family. He never knew why. She just didn't. So when he got in her class, she would make him come to the front and read. And the kids would giggle at him because he would stammer on words. And he would slur the words and slaughter them. And it was mortifying to the kid. He realized if he didn't go to take a break and go to the bathroom and all the other kids did, that he wouldn't get bullied as bad because the teachers didn't go into the bathrooms. And so he would just say and hold it. He developed a very bad kidney infection. And uh, he ended up having to go to the doctor. The doctor said, I need you to drink a lot of water. We'll send a note to school. and They're going to tell the school teacher to let you drink a lot of water. And so... The note went into school that he would drink a lot of water, and so they let him get up and go get a drink of water. Well, if you drink a lot of water, you know what happens, right? And so here he is drinking a lot of water, and as a little kid in second grade. He has to go to the bathroom. So he goes up to the teacher and said, I need to go to the bathroom. She said, oh, no, you don't. You go sit down. The note said you could drink. It didn't say anything about going to the bathroom. He goes and sits down. He soils his pants, which you knew he would. She realizes that, and Steve has a problem, and so she has him come up in front of the class and literally go like this in front of the class. It was a different day. She would have been probably jailed for it now and should have been then. Should have been then. I don't treat people like this. This is absolutely ridiculous what was happening to him. One day she had him read, and while he was reading in front of the class. She said, Steve's a little slow. He, he, he's, he's retarded but you know, he's he just this. He said, that day I sat on the front seat of the bus. As soon as the door opened, I raced up to my house, got in the house, ran for my mom, and I said, Mom, am I retarded? And his mom swept him up and said, No, Stevie, you're not retarded. You just learn a little bit differently than other kids. You're not retarded. And he said, I felt the nurturing arms of my mom. One day he said, I came home from school, and as I came home, I entered the house... I could hear the vacuum sweeper running. And when I got to where my mom was using the vacuum, I could hear her praying loud. She didn't know I was there. And I was praying out, Mom! She couldn't hear me. But I heard her. And she said, Oh God, you know I need help with Stevie. I don't have money to help him. I don't know what to do. Show me what to do. And God gave her a plan. And you know what the plan was? She said to him, "Said I've got a little stool. You sit right here on this stool and while I'm cooking, you read me these books, you're going to read slowly, you're going to enunciate, you're going to use diction on these words and you're going to learn to say them. And he would sit there night after night while she prepared supper and he began to develop a new way of understanding of speaking and all of that stuff. Do you know 20, after he had been married and he was 27 years old, his wife was studying special ed material and the special ed curriculum told him to do some of the very things God showed his mom to do back there. Isn't that powerful? Wow. Pretty incredible. He said, I wanted to achieve like my brothers and sisters and even though I learned all of this stuff, he later became a missionary for several decades, a youth pastor. He became a person that would read three to four books a week. He became a pastor. He ended up being a school administrator. He ended up becoming a teacher later on. He always lived with that awareness that he didn't quite measure up to what everybody else was. And one day he was praying as an adult. And as he's praying as an adult, after he's already been living for many years, he's already married, etc., he's praying, and as he prays, you know what? God spoke into his life. And you know what he said to him? Steve said, God, I want to be up on that shelf with my brothers and my sisters. And God said, I don't need you on that shelf. I need them on that shelf. I don't need you on that shelf. I made them and they're doing what I asked them to do. I need you to do what I ask you to do. And then God said to him, you're like a piece of a puzzle. You go in my great portrait And everybody is a piece of the puzzle and they need to go into my portrait. I want you to be Steve. And in September, he passed away at 61 years old from COVID. Fulfilling his purpose. Hearing the words, well done, no doubt, as soon as he slipped from this life to the next. And the last thing he says for us here is be faithful in prayer. Look at verse 12. Be faithful in prayer. God lets us draw closer to Him very often when things happen. I said it last week, I say it again in kindness, but God doesn't need us. He's holy, He is righteous, He is omnipotent with power beyond, He has omniscience with knowledge beyond, He has all these great, great qualities that make Him God. He doesn't need us. It is strictly through the mercy and the grace of a sovereign God That he ever called out to us and sent his son Jesus to us. We don't deserve it, but he loves us. I don't understand it. I cannot comprehend it. It's a love I do not know. But he loves you that much. And he reaches out. And he says, I want you to be faithful in talking to me. Be faithful in prayer. He lets us go through some stuff, I believe sometimes, that it will help reshape us, yeah that'll help develop us, yeah, but I think sometimes that it just draws closer to him. You see, when we have things happen to us, we can can push Jesus aside, we can push God aside and say, I don't understand it, I'm gonna get bitter at you, you let that happen. Or we can say evil happens and the devil caused that or evil itself caused that, and God, I don't know why you did allow that, but I'm gonna choose to serve you anyway. That's what Job did, that's what the Apostle Paul did, Ruth did this in the Bible. We have all these people like Daniel and Joseph who are great examples to us. Jesus says, I don't want this to happen, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And God, he stays on the purpose. He goes ahead and dies and then resurrects as he was supposed to do. But to go through some of this stuff, you're going to need to 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 be able to pray. And some of you grew up in a house where you were taken to church all the time. and, And when you went to church, the Sunday school teacher did all the praying. And some of you grew up in a house where the adults did all the praying. And it's very possible you never learned how to pray. And then you married somebody, and now, or you became an adult, and maybe you didn't marry. And now you're trying to figure out this whole idea of praying. And we talk about it, and you kind of think, well, yeah, it's you know, a good idea, but what does it mean to me? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. You can pray by yourself. You can pray all alone. Jesus prayed when he was all alone. You can do that. I would imagine Daniel in the den did some praying, right? So we understand that. But the scripture also says, where there's two or three gathered together in my name, I'll be there in the midst. So when it's possible to have two or three other people be around, it's a beautiful thing to be able to pray. A small group is a powerful thing. If you fly solo in this church, it's because you're choosing to, because we're providing on-ramps through our groups for everyone to be able to participate. Whether it's online groups or in-person groups, we want you to be able to be, be a part of a group. Jesus was part of a group. Did you know that? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were a group. He spent time at their house. In the disciples, he had 12 of them. He spent time with this group. And do you know that when you read the listing of most of the disciples, you read almost every time Peter, James, John. They were his inner circle. When you go to Mount Transfiguration, you have Moses, Elijah, and there you have Peter. So you have this small group of people here with Jesus, you see. We understand the value of that. But there's something about having another person be able to come into your life, come alongside you, and pray for you. I started out as a youth pastor a number of years ago. And when I started out as a youth pastor, I had a lot of youth. We had a 40 voice choir. We had a ton of youth that were part of our church. It was fun. And I had a lot of fun and made a lot of memories. And one of the memories I made was with a guy that was a super guy. And he ended up beca- he, was a, he was one of the guys in the group, but he ended up becoming a minister. And I thought that was powerfully wonderful. And I really hadn't stayed in touch with him for all these 30 whatever years. And so the other day, I, I just kind of caught on that he was having some problems some way. And so I didn't know fully what was going on. I didn't want to meddle too much, but I didn't want him to float along by himself. So I hunted and pecked and hunted and pecked, and found his uh, uh, phone number. And so I called, and I said, blast from the past. And uh, I, I said, I think you're going through some stuff, and I don't want you to go through it by yourself. I don't know. I have an empathetic heart toward people that are down and out or broken. I just do if they're, have, you know, anyway. You probably do too, an empathetic heart for that. And so I said... You know, any, anything I can do to help you, I'll listen to you or I'll pray for you, whatever. you He started unloading his story, and as he did, I listened to him. I said, you know, I don't have a lot of answers. I'm not sure all the ins and outs of what you just described, but I do know this. You don't have to go alone. I'll be praying for you. You can text me or email me or call me anytime, and I don't want you to go alone in this because it's a lonely road he's on right now. He thanked me profusely for calling him up and taking time just to give a care, just to call and talk. And you know what? There's power in that, and you probably have somebody you need to. You don't need to call up and give them an answer. You just need to call up and give them hope. Some of you maybe you don't know how to do it. I heard about a gentleman who did not know how to pray, and he asked his pastor, "Would you teach me how to pray?" And the pastor said, "Yes, I'll teach you how to pray." And so the pastor taught him, and he said, "This. I want you to put an empty chair beside you in the room." If you're in your car, just invite Jesus to sit in a passenger side. Just go ahead and do it. And you go ahead and talk to him just like you're talking to somebody else that would be there. And I want you to also know that once in a while you want to quiet down and just kind of listen in case he says something back to you. Because sometimes he may bring a thought to you that you need to know or, or help you with something. And so he said, wow. I understand that when the gentleman died... That they said the oddest thing, before he died, he asked for a chair to be brought over by his bed. There was nobody even here. And they said his hand was in the chair whenever he passed away. Pretty powerful. Some of you maybe need to write your prayers out because you don't know how to pray yet, but you're learning. You just write them out. I want to encourage you, if you write personal, private prayers, make sure you put them in a place no one else can get to. Be very embarrassing for them to read stuff that you don't want them to read, either about them or someone else or yourself. heard of a minister one time who got burned with that. Be careful. Maybe you're a couple and you, you've never learned to pray, or maybe you're family and you just say, "Guys, I tell you what, let's do. Let's all come together, and let's just sit here. Or be your couple, you know, just you and your spouse, or maybe some other. Let's just pray and let's do this. Get a timer and set it for two minutes, three minutes. Don't go long. Two minutes, three minutes. <coughs> Excuse me, and just say we're just going we're going to pray as a you know, and nobody's going to say anything out loud. We're just going to sit here and here's what we're praying about. So you talk about the things beforehand, just briefly." And then you just pray for them. When the timer goes off, you're done. Some of you have never done that. You've never learned to pray. You don't pray together, and that's part of the problem. You don't have strength in your life because you're not talking to God. You want to get strength in God? You've got God here. You, you, you grow together. As a family unit, you grow together, and I'm going to tell you something. It will do something to you. Each of my siblings are in faith today. Literally, I don't mean sort of, literally, unless we were sick Or very unusual, probably not over five times a year maximum, did we not pray together as a family when I was growing up? You want strength in your home spiritually? If you bring prayer back in, it will make a difference. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Pray continually. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. It's not in your notes, but write it down. First Corinthians 14 and 15. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding." Randall Cartwright was a little boy. His mom was a teenager. She could not raise him. Her name was Christy. She wasn't going to be able to. She thought about what to do. She considered abortion, and then she decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to abort. I'm going to put my kid up for adoption. But she was thinking, where do I put my kid? What do I do with my kid? And so she wanted to put her kid somewhere up for adoption. Then she thought, who would I want to be the parent of my child if my child's adopted? And she thought it over and she decided, I want the parents of my kid to be ministers. I want them to be ministers. That would be good. I'll just put that down. That's a requirement. They have to be ministers. So she puts that down and she blesses it and gives it to God. Here's my request. Here's my child. I can't raise it, but it needs a good home. This home, God. This home. Ha ha. There was a minister couple that had been trying to adopt, but they were so far down on the list, they thought they would never get even a chance. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know, ha ha. With this request coming across the adoption agency's desk, they said, wow, there's a couple down here. This minister, They fit. They're okay. It was a match. Three-month-old Randall Cartwright goes home with these people. They raise him up in the faith. He responds to the faith. He loves the Lord. He grows up and has a beautiful life. He's about 35 years old. And here was what happened when he was 35. James River, James River Church in Springfield, Missouri. I've been there. It's with the assemblies, and it's a massive church. I mean, it's one of the biggest churches in the mid, middle part of the United States. Thousand. It looks like you're going in a stadium. It's huge, man. It's fun to go there. And so I was able to go there, and Randall is a worship leader of all places. It looked like Moses' story almost, going from zippity doo da nothing to all the way to the stage of the biggest, probably biggest church in central United States right in that region, But he's married and has a couple of kids and his wife has encouraged him, I know you're wanting to know more about your family. So he he applies with this organization because his mother had not made clear who she was. And so he applies with this organization with a little app on his phone and the app is not given him anything and so one day he was just sitting there and you know how you clear out your phone every once in a while right and so he's clearing out his phone of these apps and he comes across this one, and he senses I need to open that something told him to open that app he opens up the app it says hi I am your second cousin I know who you are I know who your mother is Christy I can work out an arrangement for you guys to get together He said, I had just gone through the McDonald drive-thru. I had just gotten my food. I couldn't even eat. I was so excited. He said, I couldn't believe it. I went home and said something to my wife. He said, soon this cousin that I don't know sent me a video because he had sent to her a photo of his family. She made two presents for Christy. She gave them wrapped up to Christy. Christy opened the first one. That's a biological mother. She opens the first one. And it's a framed picture of her current son that she knows and the kids that he has. Oh, thank you for the gift. This is so great. Then she hands a second one. She opens up this gift. And this gift. She says, who's this? Her cousin says, that, those are your grandkids. And that is your son. And that is your daughter-in-law. She was beside herself. She had contacted the agency over and over in hopes that someday she could meet. If that child ever came looking for her, she could meet. You see, all three of these components that I've just described culminated in one fell swoop and came together as a great victory. Now, what about your problem? What about your situation? What about your hopes? What about your fears? about your relationship with Jesus. Where is it? Where is it? Lord Jesus, we come to you today as we are, looking to you, seeking you. Lord, on our own, we really come up short. When we release it and relinquish the leadership of our life to you, You fill us with the hope, the patience, and the communion of prayer. Across this congregation, you're working right now. I sense you here, Lord. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're bringing to anyone's mind, but I know you are at work. In the quietness of your Holy Spirit's work, Help us to cast every sin on you and let you be Savior. Every anxiety on you and let you be Lord. All our future on you and let you be our creator, designer even to the end of the age. I'm going to ask you to social distance in doing what I'm going to say. You're not even hardly that now, but I'm going to ask you to social distance. I'm going to invite you to stand stand. I no want should to uh, uh, just go to Amazing Grace. If you want a special prayer today, I'm not going to ask you why you're here, but I'm going to pray a special prayer blessing on you. Just one prayer for all that would choose to come. And if no one comes, that's okay. I want to invite you to stand right now, please, across the congregation. If you have a special presentation to the Lord, just, Lord, here's my here's my thought. Here's my gift. Here's my request. I don't know how to say it, but here it is. Just step out from where you are and come and stand right along the front here and and you can kneel if you want. <clears throat> just, you don't have to stand by anybody. You can give them a little space and just come on up close because there'll be others coming around. Just go ahead and start singing that, Anthony. And I just know there are people here today. God's, God's so in this room. This could be the moment you make him your savior. This could be the moment you give that situation to him. Just stand across the front of this room here as a sign. Lord, I'm coming to you. It's, it's kind of a symbol of coming to reverently bring yourself to him. And just say, here I am. You don't have to tell anybody why you're here and don't ask them when they go home. It's none of your business. It's their business. And uh, just, just cast your cares on him. Just cast your cares on him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved There many dangers. <laughs> Thank you that you have called us to yourself in salvation, and you have provided so great a salvation. You have called each one of us to be your followers, your disciples, and also your ambassadors. And Lord, we come to you as we are today, not here to talk about it, here to give you our situation. You see our dreams, you see our fears, you see our hurts, you see our habits, you see our hang-ups, you know our situation. You know our standing in life and our standing as to where we think we are in life. You know our condition and yet you invite us to come to you and you are not overwhelmed by us. You're not surprised by us. You simply invite us to come in confidence that you're going to hear us. We know you're here right now. Lord, across this room right now, in this front area especially. Would you be with each one of us as we give our anxieties, our fears, our sins, our questions, our hopes, our everything to you? The situations of our life that are perplexing, the things we need you, dear Lord, to make right in us, the things we need you to calm down for us, Lord. We just ask you to be pleased to do that. We don't command you, but we, we just accept your promises. We receive, Lord. We're just in a receiving mode right now. And we're just saying, have your own way. You are the potter and we are the clay. So Lord, here we are as your children. Would you give us favor in our minds? Give us favor in our positions in life? Give us favor with the other people around us, Lord, that we might be able to move from this place forward in victory and in triumph. Would you help us not to have to revisit this part of our life that would bring pain to us or bring all kinds of discomfort to us or maybe damage our hope and our faith in you. But Lord, help us to be able to release it and to just lay it down and to know that we have done everything we can do with what we have brought to you. And to just trust you to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think because it is according to your power, not our own but your power that is at work within us. Oh, Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming here into this moment. Be with the young person or the older person who has never seen a moment like this in a church, who is standing here saying, wow, what is happening? May nothing confuse them in this hour, but may through your Holy Spirit, you speak into their life in ways they understand to bring understanding, discernment, and wisdom and to make yourself known to them in ways that cause you to look good and appealing, and in ways that cause them to clearly identify you as the savior of mankind, as the lord of this universe. Lord, we did not know you were gonna break in this way. We wondered, but we did not know you would break into this service like this. You didn't do it this way, first service. But here you are in this service. You are so here. We thank you for your touch. We sense your nearness. Do not leave us. Take up residence within us. Tabernacle in us and among us. Until, Lord, there is no way we mistake that you are with us. Until others see the hope and the ability to have patience to persevere and to know that we have an active dialogue with God in prayer where they too would be able to find you in the hope that you bring. Bring our families to you, Lord. Bring our children. Bring our hope. In Jesus' miraculous name, amazing, great name of worship today, we praise you, Lord.